previously on the Sports Refuge podcast. I thought I was going to leave this earth and like never know. You know, I would just be a misplaced person. From Delaware, almost live, this is the Sports Refuge podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. And welcome to episode 27 of the Sports Refuge podcast. This is a show where we talk with guests about their connection to sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. Terrence Blackwell has been a contributor to the Sports Refuge sports blog for more than a year, debuting with his predictions for the 2018 NBA playoffs. Since then, Blackwell has provided a number of prognostications for events such as the NBA Finals, the NFL Playoffs, Super Bowl 53, and the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. But not only does Blackwell like to write about sports, he has an extensive athletic background as a high school wrestler. In this episode, I talk with Terrence about how he became interested in wrestling at the high school level and how he got the opportunity to give back by becoming an assistant wrestling coach with his alma mater, Snow Hill High School. There will also be a discussion about how wrestling at the high school level, most notably at Snow Hill, has differed at the time he wrestled there compared with when I wrestled there almost more than 20 years ago. We'll also talk about other combat sports, including boxing, mixed martial arts, and so much more. Now, here's my interview with Terrence Blackwell. Terrence Blackwell has been a contributor to the Sports Refuge sports blog, and Terrence has taken the time out of his busy schedule to come on the podcast. I've been trying to get him on the show for a while, and it's just all about trying to get everybody's time together, and I think now is the most opportune time. How are you today, Terrence? I'm doing just fine. I'm very happy to be a part of the podcast. Hey, I'm glad to have you here as well, I'm, and I'm looking forward to talk about so many things going on, especially how you got into uh, high school wrestling and your coaching and just so many other things that are on the docket. So much to talk about, you know, as with most cases on podcasts, so little time. Nowadays, I remember podcasts used to be, some of them still are, about three, four hours long, and I, I just can't even think how in the world people can talk that long about so much stuff. That's just crazy. I could not talk for that long. I just couldn't. Yeah, it's like some people had the gift of gab. And the biggest thing about podcasts are one of the things I learned is that one of the things that intrigues most people about podcasts are the fact that they learn something new, whether it's something tiny or just something like, okay, this reaffirms, hey, I've learned something new or, oh, I thought I knew this before, but there's a little more light shed on it. But yeah, that's the big thing that I like about podcasts and I like about talking to guests because there are so many things that a lot of people may not know and- and I always feel like that's an interesting thing for people to always find out. Right. And it's always good to find new things out about people. Um, I've been trying to keep up with a good amount of the podcast. And like I said, everyone always asks, how do my balls get so great? And uh, I with all to you, man. You do a very great job. Hey, yeah, and I appreciate you being a part of this. I always say that, honestly, it's about the people who write. I'm just here just sort of like directing traffic, just like, you know, one of those crossing guards in the middle of the street with the whistle and the stop sign and everything like that. Hey, and it's all about people coming up with unique content and unique ideas. And that's something I'm glad to uh, have someone like you. And of course, everyone else who contributes to the blog on a consistent basis. That's huge. Having all these people who love talking about sports, talking about their life experiences and their link to sports. And I think that's a huge thing. Absolutely. I know you wrestled at Snow Hill High School, and that's very interesting thing. Terrence and I went to the same high school, definitely years apart, vastly different generations. Uh, what year did you graduate from Snow Hill? Uh, I graduated in 2012. Wow. 
That is exactly 11 years after I graduated from Snow Hill. For, I guess, people who maybe haven't heard from some of our previous guests, how would you best describe the town of Snow Hill? Uh, the town of Snow Hill is the definition of, like, the Friday Night Lights town. If something big is going on, whether it's a football game or a basketball game or a baseball game, pretty much the whole town shuts down. And they all just go down to the games. They all have a good time. They all cheer on the team. And um, now we're starting to get to a point where we're getting a lot more support from a lot of different areas that we thought that we just never would have. The basketball team is starting to support the wrestling team. The wrestling team is going out and they're checking out indoor track meets. The indoor track team is going out and watching the baseball guys as they start their preseason warm-ups and stuff. And it's really a great time to be in Snow Hill and a coach or assistant coach or whatever that you may be in Snow Hill. And now is a very great time to get into it. Yeah, when I first started as a freshman at Snow Hill 1997, it was such a different thing. I would just move in from Salisbury, and it was a bit of a culture shock to me. I, I had went to school in Salisbury nearly all of my life lived in Del Mar a couple of years. So coming into the school, the biggest thing for me was just trying to get acclimated and getting to know people because being a new kid, it's a really tough thing because you're sort of thrown in a situation. All your old friends are in one place and you're trying to make new friends here and it's sort of uh, hard to bridge that gap with the old friends and while you're just trying to establish new friendships. Yeah, especially And the thing is, I feel like that's the one thing with it being a small school and it feels like the numbers keep getting smaller as go by. When I graduated, it was about 397 people in school and we had about a about a hundred and some odd people in our graduating class. And it seems so weird that over time that the classes had gotten smaller and smaller. Even when my uh, niece and nephew graduated, they were in the eighties in their class. Yep. Yep. So we had about 93 and we were considered one of the bigger classes. Yeah, that's just so weird. I can never figure out why that the number had dropped so much over the years. I don't know if just people moving out of town. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of people who would quit school, especially back then. It's like some people would go all the way up to their junior year and like quit after that. I'm like, why? All you have is I'm one not, more year. I actually know a couple people that that has happened, but the good thing is is that they have they didn't stop altogether. They went and got their GED. So at least so they have something and not just, oh, yeah, I just quit. Yeah, and I remember my mom was telling me because she quit school and the GED is harder than just getting your high school degree. Oh, yeah, it's way harder. It's the same content, but you're learning it a lot shorter and it's not fun at all. At least in high school, you know, you had you know, free food or if you paid for food, it wasn't over $5. You had food that was like less than $5. You got to have a potential of having a gym class. You got the potential of having a music class where you could build your abilities there in the uh, singing content. And then if you wanted to go to tech school, you know, you had a trade. It's not just school. You can branch it out and make it whatever that you want to be. When you drop out, you're kind of just putting yourself in like a little box. And I don't see why anyone under 21 would want to do that, but it happens. And People actually make success stories out of it, so you can't really knock it, but some things aren't for everybody, and that's just not for us. I completely understand that, and I was always curious because I was having a discussion with a classmate of mine from Snow Hill, and we were just talking about 
how he sort of wished he went towards the direction of trade school, but it felt like they were pushing him towards college. And that was something that, you know, he looked back and thought about, man, I could have went to a trade school, applied my trade, make money, then go back to school because then you have the money instead of getting into debt with student loans. And that just seems like, yeah, it just seems like such a novel idea. And I already know college is not for everybody. There's so many people I remember going to UNES that didn't make it past the first year, whether they were not used to being out on their own without parental supervision or. Yeah, it just didn't work. That's a lot of people. And there's nothing wrong to admit that this isn't for me. I feel like it's all of a sudden if you get yourself into it. And sometimes you never know whether something's for you until you actually get in the thick of it to determine, well, if I knew this beforehand, then I wouldn't waste money, waste time and all this stuff. And because then it puts you in a corner, then you may have some student loan money that you owe. Plus, that puts you a year and a half behind whatever you wanted to do, even if you stay for one semester. Right. I know you wrestled at Snow Hill, and I was very curious to see how you got into wrestling. I know when I started wrestling, it was sort of a startup, and it was vastly different from what it is like now at Snow Hill when it came to wrestling. We were a very ragtag bunch of people, and our coach, with our former RTC coach, Master Gunnery Sergeant Gladden, we learned a lot from Master Gunny, and... <laughs> It was a very interesting process. Yeah, I had a couple of people who ended up doing extremely well. Their names are probably no longer in the record books because, you know, you have four years of people who wrestled as opposed to someone who wrestled maybe like two years and did well and made states. It's a uh, stark contrast from then to now. And that's a shame because I know one of the people that I don't know if he's in the record books and I will be on record to say, you know, no matter what it is, no matter what coaching staff he was under, Travis Timmons, he played second in the state. He actually lost to a guy that he had beaten like three or four times that year. And, of course, selecting anything, it's hard to beat someone three, four, five, six, seven times. So I don't really hold that against him. But Travis Timmons should definitely be in the record books. I get what you're saying. How did you get into wrestling? I was very curious about that. What were the expectations? And I know Snow Hill doesn't seem like to have a feeder system where they start out young as opposed to maybe like a Berlin or, or some of the wrestling clubs and maybe Salisbury. So believe it or not, wrestling was never in the plans. I talked to coaches inside the base side, outside the base side, and wrestling was part of this thing from my mind when I got in high school. High school, it was always football, basketball, baseball, or track. And I remember... The coach who's there now, Coach DJ Drouse, he had just took one look at me. He was like, you'd make a great wrestler. And I just looked at him. I'm like, you know, that's just not for me. I'm thinking that the wrestling that we did, it's like the pro wrestling. It's where you have tables, ladders, and chairs and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, I don't really want to put that on my body right now in this course of my life. And he's like, you know, it's not like the stuff that you see on TV. You know, that stuff's not real. That's the fake wrestling. I want to show you the real wrestling. And my family was not for it. My family was just, because I do have some people in my family that have wrestled. My Uncle Jazz, he wrestled at Decatur. So there's always that rivalry. You know, my aunts, my mom, my uncles, they all went to Decatur. And uh, somehow he had migrated over to the other side and we went to Snow Hill, well, me, me and my sister. But 
when he had said, I think she would be a good wrestler, I was like, no, there's just no way. He says, to to this day, I was the hardest person to try to recruit because at some point in time, it was I'll be all for it. But I'm a big family guy, and my family was not for it, so I wasn't for it. And so he had gone to a Parkside game. I was playing JV football my freshman year, and um, we had played Parkside at Parkside. And so I was a linebacker. We had been playing tremendous defense, and we didn't score too much, but neither did they. And it was like 14 to 12. And we had to make one stop. They were at like a three-yard line. And they swung the ball. They pitched it to my side. And I left and I made a play at his legs and it happened to work. So the next day when he is in, um, he was my, he was my teacher for government. And he just kept going into my head. He said, just give me two weeks. That's all I mean is two weeks. After two weeks, you can do whatever. Just give me a shot. And I gave it a shot, and I never looked back. And it always seems that a lot of football guys made the transition to wrestling easy, especially the conditioning and things like that. I know, I think a lot of people that I knew who wrestled played football. I can think Mm -hmm. of maybe like four or five people who wrestled who were football players. Everybody else either ran track or... Maybe, yeah, I don't think there were any soccer players. Everybody else either ran cross country or they played baseball. But, yeah, just pretty much, especially in a small school, it's like the odds are if you played football, you're probably going to wrestle. Well, I mean, some of the guys for with football, Snow Hill is very football-oriented. And um, I'm actually talking with a couple of the football coaches right now um, trying to get some of their linemen, some of their halfbacks, some of their corners, some of their linebackers, um, trying to get them to wrestle because it is the best transitioning from, and it's a great cross train from football to wrestling. You know, you could think of Ray Lewis. You could think of The Rock. You could think of Kurt Angle. You can think of Roddy White. Um, it's a lot of people that have, decided to put on a singlet and take care of business on the mat. Now, everyone around here loves Ray Lewis, but they don't know that Ray Lewis was a two-time state champion. You know, he was just as solid. He was just as tough, just as gritty, and he went and took care of business on the mat. But right now we're trying to look for guys who are tough, who are scrappy, and who are going to want to stick through this because nothing is really the same as wrestling. When you wrestle, as Tom Brand said, once you wrestle, everything is easy. Wrestling, it's not just about being the strongest. It's not just about being the fastest. I've been the strongest and fastest, I would say, the last two or three years of my career. I still didn't win a state tournament. You know, you got technique with it. you got the mental aspect to it. And... It happens, and you also can't be injured. Injuries actually hurt a couple of guys from the base side this year. But the transitioning is pretty rough at first. But just being an athlete, if you have the right coach, they can be very simple. What weight class did you wrestle at? I know that I've talked to a few people who wrestled at different weight classes. I know one person, he wrestled anywhere between... 
171 to 189 and just because you had a whole bunch of people who were at 171 so the odds are if you were the loser of the wrestle off you had to wrestle up and that's probably not the best reward and then i knew someone else she wrestled in one of the middleweights and you know it's always about the wrestle off and things like that and sometimes those opportunities didn't come that far yeah um i wrestled my freshman and sophomore year as at 119 and then my junior year i went up to 125 and then my senior year that's when the weight classes changed um so i really don't want to go into all the details of how the weight classes changed but they pretty much have all gone up other than other than heavyweight heavyweight is 285 it's, it's pretty much been 285 but the weight class i was in was i was going to go 125 again but the weight class moved up a pound and went to 126. So that's why I ended up being my senior year. And I only had, what, one wrestle off, and that was my sophomore year. And um, I was on a mission that year, and I ended up being my guy who was my wrestle off in seven seconds. I pinned him in seven seconds. When it comes to some of the weight classes, being in a weight class where you don't have to worry about gaining or losing weight. I had talked to a few people and just talking about the different ways they've seen teammates have to go through that process of losing the weight as opposed to gaining the weight. Because gaining the weight is easy. Somebody go to McDonald's, grab all this stuff, and try to put on that weight to, to at least bulk up for that matchup. The other way around, people doing some of the unhealthy things, doing the trash bags, people spitting as much as they can to drop weight. Some people go in the natural on the scale just to see if the clothes weigh them down and things like that. Just the little yep. things. I can only imagine it being so ridiculous. Of course, I was in an extremely large weight class where I didn't have to worry about losing weight at all. And it's just something to see when you see somebody who's struggling just to get down to that one pound. Yeah, that one pound is extremely important. I've seen someone be over by 0.1 of a pound. And that's what people don't understand about wrestling. You have to be that weight or lower. It's extremely tough. Yeah, it's sort of like MMA where, you know, you've seen so many people or even boxing use that, for example, where they just basically, it feels like they're doing everything possible to get under that weight. And then once they hit that weight, then maybe in the day or two before the match, then all of a sudden they go up like 10 pounds. Maybe they just uh, add more fluids, they eat more food and things like that. And it's like, I just can't imagine that. And especially, and we look at it as maybe from a gender perspective or from a sex perspective at this, as a man, you don't have the same situation where you don't hear a guy saying, I'm feeling really bloated this week. It's not like one of those things where there's a lot of biological changes. It's sort of like you have to maintain your diet. Yep. Absolutely. It's the diet thing. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. A lot of things that I did were not orthodox, but my training would start if I was at the state tournament on a Saturday. My training would start that Monday. I would um, leave College Park, Maryland. I would come back home. I would talk in my losses. I would be very upset and whatever and want to run and want to lift, but I told myself, you know, I'm going to have a long year. I might as well just go ahead and just throw myself a pity party. Sunday, I would get up, I would go to church, and then after that, I would eat a little bit, and I would try to not really force feed food into my body, but, you know, just get good enough to where I felt comfortable. And then Monday, I would go to school. I would probably miss, like, a week of track practice, 
So I would go to track practice, and after track practice, I would go straight to Salisbury. And the great thing about being around here is that you have a all-season practice spot. And I'm still involved with the Snow Hill team to this day. I'm a coach. Um, I'm pretty sure we'll probably get into that later, but we have a group chat and Snapchat to where I'm talking to the guys and I'm letting them know, like, hey, you know, you guys need to get to this place. This place turned me from a 14 or 16 guy in my freshman year and made me go all the way up to 30 and 6 next year. And then the year after that, I went to 40 and 6. The year after that, senior year, I was 35. And I literally just went to that place. I would run. I would be at times where they're like, oh, you know, don't go outside. You know, it's a heat advisory. I'm out in sweatpants, sweatshirt, and I'm pretty much running half a salsa. You know, I'm trying to make sure that my body realizes that even though I'm not still in the season, you know, I still need to keep competing. I still need to keep uh, training as if I'm just on a long break. And um, I think that really helped me keep my weight down and, um, that way, by the time I got to the season, all it was was eating right. That's all it was. It was eating right. It was making sure that you made the right decisions mentally. It was making sure that you, you know, took care of your injuries whenever you got nicked up. Um, if you got injured, you know, take care of your body. Get some ice, Epsom salt, and just make sure that you mentally were ready for anything that came your way. Now I'm curious, when it came to the practices and things like that, did you guys lift weights? Did they, was that part of the regimen? Uh, no. Actually, surprisingly, um, the way that Charles coaches his team, if you want to lift weights, that's cool. You know, you're still going to have a hard practice. But if you still want to lift before, during, or after, you know, you can do that and we'll work with you. Right now, there are a lot more they're being a little bit more convenient to the average person. Back then, you know, even when I was in high school, if you said that you wanted to go 125, you know, they made sure that you stayed at 125, that you did not go up. So there's that. But this year, and when I've been coaching, you know, we have a guy named Gabe Dennis and Clayton Gaskell and Dale, and we call him DJ, craft all three of those guys they're three guys on our team right now they definitely want to go left they definitely want to get into the weight room and get stronger both mentally and physically and it, it helps them in their game but if you don't want to lift you don't have to yeah that's really interesting i just like comparing it to me and a few other wrestlers experience when we worked with master gunny it was basically it was a lot of uh, cardio, a lot of working out, not a mention of lifting. I remember our route for running. We'd basically start from the parking lot to around Washington Street, depending on a certain direction. We'd go around Washington Street, past the nursing home, go around the back way, go all the way around that path where the bike trail was. Is I'm not sure. It's been so long since I've been there, so I don't even remember if everything's still the same anymore, but where the bicycle trail was, come back around the church street and back to the school. And that's what we did. We would do a little bit of calisthenics, as Master Gunny would call them. We would do, as he called them, side straddle hops, jumping jacks. 
and he would call them the man makers and void breakers, the uh, push-ups. And oh my God. See, that's the one thing I can just remember from those practices. When it came to practicing, they were serious, but just Master Gunny's demeanor, there was this um, demeanor where maybe he wouldn't intentionally try to be funny, but it would come off very funny, but he was serious. You know, him being a former Marine, and he was a very talented wrestler. He wrestled in the Marines. He wrestled in high school. Um, I don't think, yeah, he had a pretty a lengthy resume when it came to wrestling. And um, like I said, I could ask like two or three people I wrestled with, and they could just tell you certain things they remembered, the, the exercises that we did and things like that. Yeah, um, so wrestling in snow has definitely changed since then. We don't even go outside anymore. Mm. Um, there's no running streets of Snow Hill. It's none of that. Um, since the school has remodeled itself, we share a room with the ROTC room. So we have Aux Gym. Aux Gym, you know, the baseball team has their stuff in there. Um, softball has their stuff in there. We have our stuff in there. The old gym, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they They have not transformed that into a gym for everyone. And, you know, it's it's gotten to the point now that, you know, we have other sports from other places will have people come in and watch. We invite anyone to come in, watch, see how we're practicing, see how we're training. We'll roll the mat out. I'll get there a little early. I roll the mat out. I'll mop it, make sure that it's sanitary. And then after that, we'll run around the mat for about a good five, ten minutes. 10, 15, something like that. And then we have the longest stretch in the Bayside. We have a stretch because we believe that we, if you stretch more and elongate your muscles, you will not have a lot of poor hammies. You won't have a lot of injuries that wouldn't happen if you had just stretched. You know, we make sure that guys stretch. We go through um, push-ups. We go through crunches, 25 push-ups a day, along with 50 crunches. You'll put your feet over your head and you'll try to touch your toes. We'll do 10 of those. You have a thing called Ono's, which is pretty much a burpee. We'll do 10 burpees. And then we'll hit the pull-up bar that we have on the wall in the oxygen. We'll rep out, do as many pull-ups as you can. Then after that, we'll jump rope for six minutes. That's just a warm-up. And then, you know, we'll take like two or three minutes for guys to get water, guys in once you get halfway through the season, that becomes like a routine thing for you. It's not even a big deal. And then we start our hardcore solo drills. And that's specific things that we work on for each person. And then we'll partner up. Usually you have the same practice partner, as you well know. And um, you'll either have live drilling or we'll do something that we saw in a tournament that guys didn't do so well in and we'll drill that. Or we'll do something that guys did really well that other guys can use, and we'll drill that too. That's a lot of things that we do and we incorporate in, so that way, you know, we can go ahead and just take care of business and help get the most out of these guys. Yeah, and it's just so interesting. I'm just trying to go back to some of the lessons I go back from my time. It's like when you hear about how old-school football players compare the way they play to now, it's always a unique thing. And like I go through all the different lessons. Some of the things I remember that Master Gunny told us was like, especially when it came to dietary habits, didn't say 
what things to avoid. He just said, eat till you're satisfied, not till you're full. That way, you know, you're not overindulging. You're not doing that. He didn't even say particular things. He wasn't big on, oh, no carbs here and none of that other stuff. You're just like, eat till you're satisfied. And, you know, you'd see some of the gains or losses in that case. So the weight loss that you would basically uh, melt down to. We did uh, V-ups. We did crunches. We did stretching. We did uh, butterfly stretch. We did Superman stretch. Yeah, there's yeah, so many things. I that we're stretching in between these kind of stuff, too. So, yeah. Yeah, I think we did our stretches in a row. We didn't even do that long. They were like uh, Superman stretch to the left, Superman stretch to the right, the butterfly stretch. Uh, there were a couple other stretches. Because really, after we did those warm-ups and then we ran, we'd have a quick break. Then we do the stretches. Then we get into the wrestling. It's like everything... The biggest thing I remember, especially from Master Gunny, is that every move has a counter that you got to be able to know how to counter that move. My weakness, of course, was the headlock. If I knew, all I had to do was sort of not sprawl, but maybe sort of slide out of it and counter. I, I could have maybe won one or two matches. I'll admit I didn't put all the effort into it. It was just sort of like, ah, it's something new, and it was sort of like, eh. I mean, and there wasn't a lot of chance to shine at the heavyweight thing because then you're behind somebody and those opportunities didn't come that often. Yeah, because uh, I think it's also mentality too because, you know, what you said was, okay, all I had to do was just slide out of the headlock. You know, me being a coach, I have told guys, if you get headlocked, it's your own fault. That means that you weren't in your stance and you stood straight up. It's very hard to throw a person at your own weight unless you're a freak of nature. It is hard to throw someone your own weight over your hips and into the rat. The guy has to kind of helped you out a little bit. And also, if you find yourself getting thrown, just lock your hands around his hips so as soon as he throws it, he thinks he has you, and then just roll him through. Now you're on top. See, like, like little stuff like that where they would think, oh, well, you know, all I have to do is just, you know, sit my hips back and go the other way. Well, no, that kind of hurts you a little bit. So we try to teach guys the safest ways to not get hurt, just like the dietary habits. Um, <laughs> we're a bunch of fat kids. And um, I would say like two weeks before the season started, we had a team dinner at the school to where I talk, the head coach talks, and the other assistant coach, Chris Atkins, he talks. And we're talking to the past wrestlers, the guys who are interested, and their little brothers and or sisters and their parents. And we're saying, hey, look, guys, you know, we're not telling you, you know, you don't eat for three days. We're not telling you, you know, to go home and eat a slice of bread and go to sleep. We actually go and we give them a list of things that they can eat but not eat overly, things that if they want to stay a certain weight, things that will help them stay there. And if you want to move up in weight, we encourage if you want to lift and if you want to be, you know, wild with food, you can do that. It was a guy, his name was Tyler Ijaz. He literally, he was like 158. He could have wrestled 160 all year, but he wanted to, you know, lift. He wanted to eat. He wanted to be healthy. He wanted to, you know, do whatever he wanted to do and, and be free. So we let him go up weight class. He was our starting 170 for a good half, three-fourths of the year, and he still won matches. 
showed a lot of heart. So we give the guys a lot of variety of doing what they would like to do. How many total wins did you finish with? I was just trying to go through the numbers. I believe you mentioned you had a 14 and 16 year as a freshman, and then you won 38 your senior year. And some of the numbers I got a little caught up in. I believe you had a 41 year as a junior. Yes. Yes. Um, I ended up with a 124 and 38 record. And I think when I left high school, that was the record for uh, wins. Obviously, that has not stood up. There have been a lot of studs that have come after me. Um, Camden Fisher, um, Declan Fisher, who has the most in school history with 148. Uh, Camden beat me with a 131. And um, a guy that graduated just last year, his name was Evan Mansfield. He also had 128 wins. So, needless to say, I'm still top five in school history, but... That 124 win mark definitely did not stand. <laughs> yeah, and I'm trying to think of my friend Chris Jenkins. When he left, and he had only wrestled basically junior and senior year, and the wins he probably put up in just two years, especially because we didn't start until that year the Master Gunny got there. I mean, right. I could only imagine what he could have done with four years wrestling and uh, – just curious because, man, that would have been a lot because I believe he made it to states once or maybe regionals. I'm just trying to remember. It's been so long. And basically he was, at the time, he was the guy when I was in school and when we were at Snow Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I always embrace anything that the older guys have said because I know how it was when I was in high school and compared to the way it is now, these guys have everything. Like, it's, it's a whole bunch of things that I wish that I had that they have. Like, they have team bags. Like, they have actual updated team bags. Um, they have new singlets. They actually have a weight room that is directly next to where we practice at. They have a spotlight. So whenever they're, you know, at home matches, they can just turn on one light, and that's it. Their mats are a lot smaller. So it's a lot of advantages that they have. But, I mean, I know that I had a lot more advantages than you guys when you guys were coming up. So, I'll take my wins and lock my losses. <laughs> yeah, we had, like, plain maroon singlets, maybe with black I trim. Those. I wore those. <laughs> I, wore, I wore those my freshman year and then my sophomore year. Um, we had gotten new singlets from the county. They were black ones. And then the year after that, no. Yeah, we wore them for... So my sophomore and junior year, and then my senior year, um, my coach decided he wanted to go all out for me, and um, he wanted me to design a new singlet, and I designed a new gray singlet. So I ended up wearing three singlets in four years. <laughs> yeah, that's just crazy just talking about the evolution, just seeing how different it was from like 98, 99 to... Then when you graduated in 2012, just to seeing how different it was just six years, six, seven years later from when you graduated. Mm-hmm. Again, they have a lot of advantages, but, I mean, you know, that's, that's just the way that I honestly think it should be. I, I was never happy with the fact that I was the highest record, and I'm glad that Camden broke my record. I'm glad that Declan ended up breaking his record. And I'm glad that Evan passed me for wins because I feel like if I'm not helping the guys who are here right now, 
if I'm not helping them, you know, do better than what I did at States or do better than me in wins record, what am I really doing? If I'm not helping the guys behind me go further than I did, I'm not really doing anything. I'm not coaching. I'm just not helping. How did you get into coaching? What led to that decision to become a coach? Um, honestly, the fact that I love the sport so much, um, and that, and that you have to wait until you're 21. Um, I just, honestly, I, I really texted Josh, like, hey, you know, I know that you guys probably carry another coach, but I was wondering, you know, I don't care if I volunteer, I don't care if I'm on the payroll, I don't care what it is, I just want to come in, I want to help, and I want to maybe coach a little bit, not really, like, take over, but I just want to help you. I, I, I want to make your job a lot easier. And um, he said, well, funny thing is that you're in luck. A position has opened up, and we think that you'd be the perfect person. So I've been there three years. And I have to think, especially I've coached in capacities and different things, sometimes the most helpless feeling in the world is that you see something that you know you could do, but you can't do it because you're just on the sidelines. And that has to be one of those uh, demoralizing things. Actually, no, not really. Because, again, I feel like if I'm doing my job as a coach, that these guys should be able to do everything that I've done and better. Um, you know, I show them every little thing that I've done. I, sh- I show them the collapse flip to where a guy has your leg in midair and then you flip over your shoulder. Well, if the guy has your left leg, you flip over your right shoulder and then you got his leg, and then you take him down as well. I showed them that. I showed them my snap down. I showed them my duck under. I showed them my single. Um, so if they don't do what I did, that's cool because that's not my time. It's their time. And I feel like, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I can say, you know, we shouldn't have lost that match or he shouldn't have lost to him, but that's the part of life. You know, you got to have to be willing to accept the things that you can't change, but be ready, to, be ready to change the things that you can change. And what what I can change is how they train, how they condition, how they, you know, are ready for whatever that comes next or whoever comes next, so that way they don't get stuck with that again. Now, I'm just curious, especially wrestling, I assume, do you have an interest in things like mixed martial arts or boxing um, I've thought about it, and I feel like if I uh, if I stay around here a little bit longer, I'm gonna end up joining a gym or something. It's, you know, whenever the season ends, I still have that urge and, and uh, that craving to just want to unleash on something. So maybe that could be the next venture for me. Do you watch a lot of MMA or boxing or things like that? I know oh, yeah. a lot of those have a lot of uh, connection to wrestling. Oh, yeah. Um, I actually love the way that um, boxing is going, where they're promoting the heavyweights again. I feel like when, back when boxing was boxing and it was at its golden age, you know, but the boxing needs a heavyweight. It needs an undisputed heavyweight champion. It just doesn't sound right. The undisputed super welterweight champion, no, it's the undisputed heavyweight boxing champion of the world. With MMA, I do love that as well. Um, 
my guy that I really was infatuated with, he's not currently in the game anymore. That was George St. Pierre. That was a big GSP fan. And now I see myself being a, a very big Henry Judo fan. And um, he was the All-American in, um, in, I'm pretty sure, in college. I, I think he won, like, twice in college. I think he was an Olympian, a gold medalist still. So I'm I'm always very partial to wrestlers. And from the way it's looking in, in UFC, the wrestlers have been dominating the UFC. So just look what happened to Conor McGregor and Khabib. Khabib was a outstanding wrestler, and that's what ended up feeling that match for him. He ended up getting on top after striking him. And the guy was just like, you know what, I'm tired of getting struck. And then he left himself right open for a chip. I always thought that, especially one of the, we'll get back to boxing for a second, but looking at uh, mixed martial arts, uh, I, I used to watch it a little bit, especially when I used to have Showtime, and I used to watch Strike Force. I believe it was Strike Force. And, mm-hmm. and you know, Daniel, that's where I first saw Daniel Cormier. And, yeah. you know, his story was very interesting. And, you know, I watched him a little bit, especially because it's not like, you, you know, sometimes you have to wait maybe five or six months to see somebody uh, highlight a match and things like that and his story was interesting to me and then seeing him get that opportunity to ufc which i don't really watch mixed martial arts like that because i feel like it's sort of like boxing in that whole experience where sometimes you may not get your money's worth because it could end within like 10 15 seconds it could be the equivalent of a mike tyson fight how it used to be Uh in the 80s and 90s where that's it and but the thing about boxing was that thrill that fight that punch especially if you knew tyson or somebody else was in there you know, with with Floyd, you know you're going to get maybe a a display of defense and things like that. With Tyson, you know you were going to get the power. With Ali, mm-hmm. you know you were getting a combination of both. And even though Ali was way, 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 way before I was even born, it just you know watching some of those fights, it's it's interesting to see. And I think going back to your thing about the heavyweight, I don't know if it was whether it was an issue of an undisputed heavyweight or was the fact it was no real big name American heavyweight because I mean, yeah, yeah, I guess people love Lennox Lewis and things like that too. But then all of a sudden, once that belt fell into the hand of the Klitschko's, it just, they defended it. And sometimes it was on their terms. So you wouldn't see a three in the afternoon fight because they fought in Russia and things like that. And, and most of the times they won and it just wasn't as appealing, even though, Hey, they did their job. There was no shadiness to it. It was just sort of out of sight, out of mind type thing. Yeah, it's a little different with uh, the American heavyweight. I feel like if you want to gain the attention of a lot of people in America, you actually have to have one of those champions. So I definitely agree with you on that. But if you're like an actual pure boxing fan, you enjoyed the Klitschko's, mainly because you've seen him. He actually had a fight with Lewis, I think, in the early 2000s. But those guys, they literally were going at it. Like, I enjoyed the Tyson Fury and the um, Dante Wilder fight. Granted, it wasn't, you know, what we all wanted. I still enjoyed the fight because boxing hadn't been like this in a while. I feel like a lot of people, they admire the knockout. They admire the one-hitter-quitter, per se. Um, I'm the kind of person, you know, I like to see a lot of punching power, but I also like seeing the sweet science as well. I like the mix in between. I like the showmanship. I really do like the flash. I feel like boxing, if they can get a couple more heavyweights to actually compete with Dante Wilder and Tyson Fury, 
you know, we might actually have a little something again. But um, I feel like MMA is, that's just a bloodbath. With UFC, with Conor McGregor announcing his retirement not too long ago, you know, that can shake up that whole division with Ronda Rousey saying, okay, you know what, I'm done with UFC, I'm going to go over here to WWE. You know, that can shake it up with uh, Daniel Cormier. I remember seeing him when he was in college. He was a heavyweight champion, I'm pretty sure, as well in college. With him stepping away and saying, you know what, I'm done. Um, but with my Olympic gold medalist, you know, with him stepping in and him beating Gillishaw last month or a couple months ago, you know, that's big. With Khabib emerging, I'm liking seeing that. Like, there's a lot of people that you can just look at and be like, he's a guy, he's a guy, he's a guy. You don't really see that too much in boxing because, you know, we don't really know who's real, like who's really real. U.S., you, you can just look in someone's eyes and you can tell. Even the old guys, the guys who are 40, 42, 43 in the Tom Brady range, they're going out here and they're beating the brakes off of 23, 25-year-old guys. It's just mind-blowing to see. And I think about boxing, the last time there was more spectacle and that, of course, was Floyd and Conor McGregor just to see what would happen for the sheer curiosity of it. But someone I would have loved to see, and I don't think that'll ever happen now, especially with his loss. I would have loved to see Floyd against Triple G, but that definitely mm. won't happen now, especially with that loss. And I know it would be basically a big ripoff because all Floyd would do is block, 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 strike. And basically, it would be 12 rounds of Floyd playing defense, getting a punch here and there, and everybody would be disappointed. Yeah, I mean, I do think that Triple G is a little bit too big for Floyd. See, the thing about Floyd, Floyd has not really been caught. Like, he has not had one of those punches where he sees light. And that's the reason why when he was coming out, he was pretty boy Floyd, because Floyd did not get touched. Floyd was a definition of boxing. He was hit and don't get hit. I mean, you can see pictures and videos of him flinching. You know, he he would hit, not get hit. And I feel like Triple G, he honestly wouldn't care. Anytime Floyd actually land a shot, he would move forward and try to land an even bigger shot. That's another reason why I don't feel like he actually wants Triple G. Because if he wants somebody, he'll get him. Like, if he can get Conor McGregor over from the rival sport to come into his sport under his rules to fight him, he can definitely get Triple G. I don't think he wants that. I think he's going to wait until he gets a little bit older. You know, I think Floyd, with him being more technically sound than Triple G, I think he'll, whenever, if he does do it, he will outlast him. Just like the Pacquiao-Floyd fight, that should have happened 10 or 12 years ago. But I feel like Floyd saw on the other side, hey, man, he's got live thunder in his hand. And I don't know if I want that yet. I'm going to wait until he gets older, and then we'll have the fight. Floyd has always been technical. When he was younger, yes, he would knock people out then. You know, people don't know that. But when he was younger, he would knock people out. But not now. Now he's more technical. And I will give him this. He is the greatest defensive boxer I've seen tape on. I always wondered how Floyd would have fought in different time periods. I would like to see. I'm trying to think, was Sugar Ray Leonard or Marvin Hagler or Tommy Hearn, some of those guys in his weight class, because those would have been interesting fights, even though I think Floyd might give up some weight to those guys. That's why I'm thinking, you know, it's not like we're saying, oh, yeah, Ali versus Floyd. No, because, you know, weight classes. But 
it's like you can say Ali versus Tyson. That would have been a fight to see. And and even you look at Tyson, there were some fights that were scheduled before you know he had his jail sentence, just like the Pacquiao Floyd thing. There could be talk that both guys were ducking it on both sides. Either Floyd would add it in this last second stipulation. Okay, we do all this stuff at a blood drug test. And it was just frustrating. For years we got it. And then all of a sudden at the end you hear that Manny was hurt with the shoulder. And it's like, man, either it was like a built-in excuse or right. and it was just very frustrating. And believe me, I'm far from a boxing expert. I would watch it when it was on. But people who have probably greater boxing knowledge and expertise would probably have better ideas about it. And man, that really could have been, you know, some of these fights I felt like, man, either people are ducking people or people mm-hmm. use excuse promoters. Like for example, there was a lot of fights that didn't get together because of Don King and Bob Arrow and, and just little petty stuff, stuff that could have been yeah. done years ago. And stuff that could have been avoided if, you know, guys just didn't have egos. Oh yeah. Egos and, definitely killed a lot of prime, prime fights in boxing. Yeah, and in fluke wins, too. Like, for example, like, for every dominating Mike Tyson thing, there's always a Buster Douglas moment. And for the way Lennox Lewis cruised through, then Hasin Rockman knocked him out. Rockman was probably dumb enough not to get this big deal before. He was like, okay, I beat him once, I'll beat him again. Yeah, and then as soon as Lewis hit him a couple times, that was it. It's all small stuff, and just like in wrestling and boxing, it's all mental. And MMA, it's mental. When you are in those combat sports, you cannot walk in and say, you know what, I'm just going to go out there and destroy him. He's not even going to put up a fight. He's not even on my level. He's not supposed to be here. You know, that's the same thing that Connor was saying about Khabib. You saw what happened with that post, I mean, well, pre him jumping out of the ring. I mean, him, well, well, him jumping out of the octagon. Connor got destroyed and he got embarrassed. And I think that, that ultimately led him to, get, to go into retirement. You know, when you get embarrassed, you talk about the man's family, you talk about his religion, you talk about his race, oh, yeah, the guy's going to come get you by any means. And if you look at the replay, when Khabib was choking out Connor, the referee has to actually slap him to get him off of him. That's how real and that's how upset he was at that kind of guy. So when you have stuff like that, Mentally, it's a different mindset. He was on a different level than Connor that night, and it showed. Just like Lewis probably would have probably been on a different level than Buster and or uh, Mike to an extent. Mike would have tried to kill somebody and tried to knock him out within five rounds. Lewis, he's like, okay, if I can bring him out to the deep water and drown him then, I'll be all right. And the thing with those Mike Tyson fights, the first one with Buster Douglas, his cornerman, Customata, had died, so he was sort of a little lost that way. And two, I remember, I don't know, it was years ago, but they were talking about the Cutman, the Cutman in the corner didn't have any stuff for him. Nobody expected him to get touched. And that's another issue. And then when you look at the Lennox Lewis fight, Mike Tyson wasn't in the mental shape. He even said it. He was just looking for another payday just to, to pay off all the other people that he owed. Right. Had that fight happen in 88, I think Mike Tyson probably destroys Buster Douglas. And it's a footnote. I mean, yeah, I kind of feel like he would have destroyed him, but if the fight had went past five rounds, all bets are off. I feel like Mike Tyson was the back then version of Conor McGregor. You bring him out to the deep ends, you bring him out to the deep water, I don't know what happened after that. I mean, even Floyd did that. Uh, Floyd took Conor to the deep end, and, and he took those Conor. shots that Conor gave him, and then he just waited 
and waited and he exploited a flaw in uh, Connor's training because Connor said they did a couple of things that they didn't simulate and they didn't try to simulate those things with Floyd. And those are the things that Floyd beat him with. The spectacle of it all itself, you don't see it that much. It, technically, you look at Floyd Mayweather's career record. He is 51-0. and 0. He has beaten an MMA guy. He has beaten a pro wrestler. And he has beaten uh, other guys <laughs> as well in yeah. his career. Yeah, but the thing is, is that they're also doing his sport. It's easy to beat someone that is not as skilled as you in your sport. When you looked at the Conor McGregor and Floyd fight, how many times did Conor handle this? And, uh, Connor almost got disqualified or actually got points taken off because of his hammer fist because that's just his reaction. That's just his mental reaction is to when you're getting up this close to a person, you hammer fist in the back of his head. That's illegal in boxing. So that really takes away like a quarter of his repertoire, and now he's like, oh, boy, now I'm in some real trouble. Now it comes down to fundamentals. You know, you get the 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. It's about fundamentals. And I just don't feel like, obviously, Connor had any business being in that fight. He did get $100 million off the deal, but he also had a loss to go with it. And I think the one thing in MMA is that the losses don't kill you as much as an early loss in boxing. Because even looking at Manny Pacquiao's record, he had a bunch of early losses. And surprisingly, that would have killed anybody else's career. But he was still able to, because at one point he had like five or four or five losses early on in his career, but they didn't hurt him as much as it would have hurt anybody else. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, but you also have to remember that Manny Pacquiao was also knocking out people. The Juan Marquez knockout where he just caught him and he just went limp and his wife ran to the ring not knowing if he was going to live or not. You know, punches like that, people don't remember. But the fact that he can, you know, go in just knock out any Joe Schmo and it gets hyped, so he still stays relevant. You know, he has a lot of knockouts. He has a lot of knockdowns. And I feel like stuff like that, you know, he's seen as a brawler now. You know, anyone's like, okay, well, I'm going to get knocked down, but I'm going to knock you down too, and you might get knocked out as well. Fans love to see that. What are your thoughts on, especially Premier Boxing Champions, them bringing back boxing on network television? Do you think that's a good thing for the sport? Oh, yeah, I definitely do think it is. But, um... I feel like, you know, they need to make sure that they're going to get guys that are actually going to stick with it, that, that won't get in trouble with the law, that won't get in trouble with drugs and stuff, and just actually make a good product for the game. Because if not, it's just going to fall flat on its face and it's going to look even worse for boxing. One thing I wanted to talk to you about is something that I've always saw interesting, especially in UFC. That's something that's been done for years. And, and you look at it in boxing, too. It's something that there's a lot of a sense of pro wrestling aspects that are in both boxing and UFC, especially you can just look at the press conferences and everything like that, the face-offs and things like that. You can look. A lot of that stuff, and, and it goes back even to the days of Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali said he grew up watching Gorgeous George, and he talked about how pretty he was and how he was going to beat everybody. He knew that you got to have somebody that the crowd can either be against or be for and being able to talk. And actually, that's the old aspect of pro wrestling, especially in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Talk them into the building, and then everybody gets their money's worth. Everybody gets paid. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just what everyone is going by. And Connor, and now that people have kind of gotten more tip, if you want to say, towards that method, you get the Connor McGregor method. You get the 
John Gruden type of method or a LeVar Ball method where you can say something really weird, outlandish, and crazy, and people are going to want to see you fail so that, so that way they'll buy the ticket. Or they'll say, you know what, I don't like him, he's a cocky so-and-so. And, you know, that makes you either win or lose the fight. And then guys are, you know, they get their money's worth as well. And everyone supposedly goes home happy depending on how the result is. And it's funny, like, looking at it, and I just look at Brock Lesnar in UFC. He is probably a better talker than most of those guys in there. And in pro wrestling, he's a horrible talker. He's not like you look at someone like a Ric Flair or a Hulk Hogan somebody, or Roddy Piper. Those guys talked you into the building. And no matter what, just the ability to talk and and just be able to motivate people to buy. I'm buying a ticket either. I want to see him shut up or I want to see him win. That was the biggest thing. But yet Brock Lesnar, when you look at it on the UFC side, he is probably a better talker than some of those other guys. Probably maybe I don't I haven't seen how Bobby Lashley did when it came to interviews and things like that in Bellator, things like that. But I'm very curious how some of those guys were horrible in pro wrestling that like Brock Lesnar has basically Paul Heyman talk for him <laughs> every time yep. he's on Monday Night Raw. And like Ronda Rousey probably be better than most of the people in UFC and the women talking. But in WWE, she is like probably below par compared to everybody else. I really appreciate you, Terrence, for taking a part of this. And I look forward to definitely having you back again. We can talk a little more about your interests and how you became such a big sports fan, how you became a fan of the New England Patriots, and so much more. (laughs) Oh, I look forward to coming back. I appreciate the opportunity. And that was my interview with Terrence Blackwell, a contributor with the Sports Refuge Sports Blog. If you know someone who might find this episode interesting, feel free to share it. For previous episodes, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com and click on the podcast tab. If you have a suggestion for a guest I could interview or have feedback, you can email us at thesportsrefuge, S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-F-U-G-E, at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge Podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.